welcome to the KC City Church Audio Podcast. We pray you enjoy this following sermon. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Good morning, church. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Oh, I, f- I forgot this. There's not very many here. <laughs> yes. Uh, come on. Bless, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Amen. One day in the house of the Lord is better than a thousand elsewhere. Amen. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. I feel like I'm in the midst of thousands upon thousands. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Man. Another lockdown. Isn't that interesting today? That in about a day or so, we received the news, I I believe, on Friday. And we've had to begin to pull all of this together. So I really want to take this time to also just thank the team. And just really appreciate everyone here that's just, you know, being able to pull together all of this. So we want to thank you, church. I hope you're still believing and trusting that the Lord is sovereign above anything and everything and whatever that we are going through or whatever that we may be put through, God at the end of the day is sovereign. Hallelujah. Come on, I'm sure you must agree with me. And, you know, feel free to post your comments or your amens on our, on our chat group uh, on YouTube or on Facebook. Please feel free to do that. Interact with us. You know, this uh, up at the end of our service, we'll have a bit of a Facebook live with our, I believe, with our close community group. So please feel free to jump on. I want to thank Rachel and uh, Sam this morning for really welcoming us and reminding us that today we're touching on part two of our message, which is back to, back to first love, what it means to be back to first love. And you know how interesting that this message falls on what the world is celebrating Valentine's Day today. It's supposedly uh, a day of uh, romantic love, amen? Ro- rom- romantic, uh, romantic love. And you know, I, I love 1 Corinthians 13 where it says, love is patient, love is kind. Love keeps no record of any wrong. And when I look at uh, uh, love from that perspective, I... I don't know how to romance through love is patient, love is kind. I leave that with you this morning because we might touch a little bit, a little bit on that. Now, friends, I want to say this, that it is important. If you've not had an opportunity to, to listen to last week's message, I would love for you to do that because there's a lot of explanation. There's a lot of introduction. There's a lot uh, that I shared on the context of the church of Ephesus in regards to them being a loveless church. And, and why the Lord had mentioned that, that, that despite all of what they were keeping, and they, were, they would uh, be referred to as boundary keepers, I suppose. They were so conscious and particular about the boundaries that they needed to keep within, this, uh, within, w- within the environment that they were in. And if you look at today's day and age, we are in a season where there are so many things that are wanting to cause us to compromise, wanting to cause us to, to um, um, I believe, question the truth or the validity of Scripture and whether the Bible really means what it actually says. There's so much of that 
happening. And we need to know. And so here is a church that, that was actually really, really commended for such a thing. So I'll show a uh, 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 PowerPoint where there will be some uh, commendations. There are seven commendations there that you'll get to see that as well. And, but before that, I want to read this, this chapter, chapter 2, verse 1 through 7, where we are drawing our message out of, and in particular, verse 4. But let me read this whole passage from, uh, well, not, the whole, not, not all of uh, Revelation 2, but at least part of it from verse 1 to 7. And write this to the angel of the church of Ephesus. So here, the Spirit of the Lord is instructing John, who was in exile in the island of Patmos. And uh, interestingly, he was the only disciple, one of the only 12 that, that I suppose, died a natural death. He, the others were all, um, they went through persecution, not that John didn't, but they were killed. Hallelujah. And, and you could read all about them not just uh, from a historical standpoint, but even in, even in scripture as well. So let me read chapter two, verse one through seven. Write this to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. The one who walks among the seven gold, uh, the one who walks among the seven gold, gold lampstands. I know all things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. And this is what, so look at the commendations here, right? You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles, but are not. You have discovered that they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. That's remarkable, isn't it? But I have this complaint against you. You don't Love me or each other as you did at first. So back to your first love. Right at the start of how it all happened. You don't love me as you did before or even love one another. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. So here, there's a, there's, a, there's a command as such. There's a call. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans, just as I do. Right? Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give the fruits from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Hallelujah. I want to, if, if we can uh, show the, uh, the first slide on my PowerPoint, I, I just want to, I want you to go through these, I want you to have a look at these seven aspects which are seven, I believe, seven noble aspects here, right? These seven commendations. It says this. It's taken from verses two to three and in verse six. I know your deeds, meaning their faith was practical, right? They were really obedient 
to God, being charitable to others. They did not just profess faith, they practiced faith. So these are, these are great things, church. I know your labor. They zealously and anxiously serve the Lord with all their might. They seized every opportunity to serve the Lord and they did it willingly. Now, this is, this is amazing. They seized every opportunity to serve the Lord. And above it all, they did it also willingly. They weren't, you know, kind of dragging their feet and so on and so forth, but they did it willingly. You know, uh, I, when, I, when, I, when I look at this, I sometimes remind myself, or I, I remember how it is that when you have kids, when they're young and when you say, hey, will you go and grab this for me? Will you take this for me? And they with great delight will go, yes, dad, yes, mom, I will go. And then they become teenagers. And when you tell them to go and do this, and what do you get? You get the rolling of the eye and you get, oh, do I really need to? And that's what I think returning to your first love, I think, sounds like. After a while, you know, like being kids and when the Lord says this and that, we get so excited. Yes, Lord, we will do this. We will do that. And then we become teenagers. And when the Lord says this and we, we roll eyes and we wonder, Lord, do we really need to? Are you sure you're asking me to do this? Are you sure you want me to take this step of faith? Are you sure you want me to serve? Are you sure you want me to be on the roster again? Well, let's look at the third point. I know your patience. See, even commends them for their patience. They did not grow weary in well-doing. Hallelujah. There are many that serve. But do so for a time frame and do not persevere. But before long, they fail, they fall by the wayside, right? These folks persevered in the face of opposition, great trials in a pagan society steeped with superstitious religious beliefs. They threw all their energy into the cause of Christ. They were loyal to him. The fourth Commendation was this, that I know you cannot tolerate wicked, wicked people. They loved the truth and loathed for what was doctrinally and morally wrong. They were what you might say as, or, or term as boundary keepers. Maybe they were a bit, maybe they were on, maybe, maybe they were, you know, on the, on the top of it to some extent, or, or, or they could be termed as having righteous indignation, in a sense. Maybe, maybe you, you might be able to sense that as you read through this. Right, the fifth is this, that I know you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. Now, there are not very many people that can be, that, that you and I can really acknowledge because or possibly say about themselves that they knew and tested those who were apostles because they knew truth from error. So they knew their stuff. When they heard another gospel being preached, be it an overemphasis that brings legalism or perhaps an overemphasis that brings a permissive lifestyle. Example, a message of grace that is devoid of truth, for instance. So they knew that, and they would really bring a balance to it. The sixth one was this, that I know you have endured hardship. The Lord had commended them for their rare faithfulness. They did not deny him or quit being in the Lord, and 
in the church, they realized that the coming together of the saints was significant and important. And friends, we see that here, though it is difficult for us to be here in the flesh, we are coming together in this, um, in this amazing uh, approach that we now have where the gospel, where this message can go to thousands, if not millions, who just who want to subscribe and who want to get on to this. Now, churches all over Victoria today, they are meeting online, maybe even all over the world, they are meeting online and the message is going across again. We are connected right through not just this form, but we are connected more so in the spirit of the Lord because the spirit of God draws us and pulls us together. Hallelujah. Because we have this one father that, that in Matthew 6, it says, our father, not mine, not just yours, but our father who art in heaven. And so we have the same father. How amazing, how wonderful. That is something for us to rejoice. And that's what these folks were all about too. That despite their hardship, there was a sense of coming together. There was a sense of meeting. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have all of that, but they still came together. Hallelujah. And that was a remarkable thing about this church. And the last thing is that I know you hate the Nicolaitans, and I, I explained this last week as well, um, and, 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 and the seven commendations as well, but I'm just wanting to reiterate this as we go into today's context of back to first love. So what did they hate about the Nicolaitans? It, it is a sect in some ways that rejected the moral law. Right? Their contention was that since God's elect are saved by grace and are free from the law, nothing is evil. They are, and whatever they desire is essentially good. Right? So they feel that there's, there's, there's nothing evil about me. Everything is good. Whatever that I want to do, you know, it is good. Even if I try this and try that, it is still good. It's, there's, there's, nothing really, there's nothing really evil or bad about it. So they made every excuse for lewdness, for licentiousness, immoral, immorality, and wasteful living. Now, John Gill, he's, he puts it this way. They committed fornication, adultery, promoted, and, 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 and all uncleanness and had their wives in common. This is what they were doing, right? And all this, and the, 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 the Ephesian church, they knew this and they hated these individuals, right? All this was being practiced and promoted as a form of Christian liberty by the Nicolaitans. Now they, the Ephesians, abhorred any form of ungodliness that was being promoted under the guise of grace, right? You know, we live in a day and age where so many things are being redefined. And, uh, you know, as you look at this, at this next uh, slide, I showed this last week where it says, and this petition requests changing the term sinner to person who is morally challenged. Can we have that slide up there, please? Thank you. Yep, and this petition requests changing the term sinner to person who is morally challenged. Now, to call someone a sinner in today's day and age, you know, could be, uh, uh, what do you call, what's that term? Um, socially unaccepted. Love, uh, just leave that slide up there, please. Socially, unac socially unaccepted, right? And we are being forced to redefine so many things so that people out there 
will be able to know and, and feel comfortable with the change of what they're going through, whether it's transgenderism or, or, or the LGBTQ or any of these sorts of things. No, we can't say anything because to say, to say that and to quote scripture, oh, would be absolutely wrong. And so we are being pushed, we're being challenged to begin to really redefine so many things. And so, so the caution here is this, and, they, and, and this was a church where the Lord was speaking to and saying that, hey, you guys now were so focused on making sure that none of these things begin to happen and you are fighting for this and fighting for that. Now God commended all of that, but yet he comes to this. And so again, I want to bring this to us that Though we may be so cautious about, about the redefinition of things and that we are fighting against is that we are signing this petition and that petition. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't. I'm not saying that we shouldn't stand up for all of this. But when our mind and focus goes into all of that, maybe we need to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is also saying to us, which is this. Are we forgetting our first love? Are we forgetting our first love? Are we forgetting our first love? There are three aspects I just want to highlight here. Uh, three practices, right? One is called orthodoxy. The other is orthopraxy. And the other is orthopathy. Orthopathy or pathy. Orthopathy, pathy. How do, however you pronounce it. You see it there anyway. So orthodoxy, it's, this, it's mentally assenting to correct doctrine as cognitive proposition. So you're, you're so focused on just the study, making sure that it is right. Orthopraxy is the right living, right living out of our faith and orthopathy is this, having right heart and right spirit. All these three things are important and not the focus of one apart from the other. So here we find that in their zeal for moral purity, they lost the centrality of love. And this is what the Lord is coming to and His Spirit is saying that, guys, you can do and get everything right, but if you, if you lose this element of love, then you've lost the plot. I will come and I will take the lampstand. And He says, now repent, begin to repent. So church, this is not a message to forget our orthodoxy. This is not a, a message to forget our orthopraxy as such, meaning what we practice. But it is a message to begin to examine our heart our soul. It is, a, it is a message to begin to examine where are we in the centrality of our zeal for the love of God and for the love of people. Amen. For the love of people. Not for wanting to journey with them to want to change them. We've not been called to journey with someone to change that person. We've been called to journey with people to love them. Because it is the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. Not your rightness and my rightness or our rightness or our correctness, but it is the goodness of God because it is His goodness that follows and that runs after us. And if that happens, if they get a glimpse of that, that alone should change. That alone should change. You know, I, I, maybe the older I get, I begin to question this myself. Can my love, can my goodness change others? If I'm good, now I know there is not all goodness in me, but can the love of God that flows through me as I embrace that love 
and as I begin to reflect that love and as I begin to launch out of that love. And that is why I started saying, love is patient, love is kind. Love keeps no record of any wrong. Love does not boast. Now that's the kind of love. That's not Valentine's Day love. That's not a love that you give a rose to someone. That's a love that says that, you know, as he trampled on the rose, right, above all else, that song, above all else, it's, it's, this, it's this Jesus, as people trampled on him, it was his form of sacrificial love that made it okay and that it made it possible for us to come into a place where we get fully restored, where we are fully healed through that love. And it is that sort of love that will bring healing to the people out there, right? The question that readers of this letter have to wrestle with is this. Is there a connection between this church's hypersensitivity to moral purity and its loss of first love? And I say that there is. But that's a question that we need to wrestle with, right? This is where we, you know, and, and, and this is exactly where we stopped last week. And, and I want to pick it up from this week, right? And as I mentioned earlier, it's so interesting that it coincides with Valentine's Day. It couldn't be more prophetic than this, right? And, and, and everyone is saying, love is in the air, right? Love is in the air. That's, that's, what's, that's what's happening. Earlier we heard one of our young ladies who said that this is her first Valentine, right? First Valentine behind closed door, closed doors. Oh, is it first Valentine's day with a particular special person? Hallelujah. And to be behind closed doors, isn't that, isn't that painful? Well, sister, isn't that painful? Brother, isn't that painful? Isn't that, doesn't that hurt? I mean, it does from a natural standpoint, and I'm not being, you know, I'm, I'm being kind of part cheeky here, and, but the reality is this, that there are people who are unable to come together at this point in time, and it hurts. It really does. But there's something deeper that we need to go into. There's something else that we need to, we, we need to engage in. You know, most commentators of Revelation, they seem to think that there is, there is really an important connection here between the Ephesian church's heightened boundary keeping and the loss of their primary commission and passion. That is to make disciples of all peoples, right? Now, a theologian, Robert Mounts, he writes this and he says, every virtue carries within itself the seeds of its own destruction. Now, it seems probable that Desire for sound teaching and the resulting forthright action taken to exclude all imposters had created a climate of suspicion in which love within the believing community could no longer exist. Wow. This sort of heightened sense of wanting to be so right, wanting to keep things so pure, wanting to do all of that, that it creates that there is this resulting forthrightness, this action taken to exclude, no, you're impossible because we ask, oh, if this person is like this, should we allow them to come in? Should we allow this? Should we allow that? Should we? We begin to, and again, these are not bad questions, folks. But 
Is it creating this climate of suspicion in which love within the believing community could no longer exist? Our love for God and our love for one another are deeply connected. Brokenness in our love for God inevitably leads, friends, to to this shattering sense of our love for our neighbor. When that sense within this brokenness with God and when we're feeling that, it is hard to love someone else. Because we love others with suspicion. We love others without the sense of, oh, I don't know whether I can really fully trust because I've been just burnt. I've been disappointed. And so that becomes to lurk out there, right? So love for others is the primary mark of Christian discipleship. But at Ephesus, hatred, at heresy and closely guarding the boundaries of faith had allowed the love for God and one another to actually really fade. That began to fade. And why? I believe it's, it's because boundary keeping or orthodoxy became more the priority due to the fear that things of the world would slowly creep into a well-balanced ecosystem, a spiritual so-called spiritual ecosystem, right? Now, I want to quote this theologian, theologian Stanley Grenz. And it is something that he writes in what I mentioned last week, un, what, we, what is termed ungenerous orthodoxy. And he says this, the, the, I believe that's on our slide as well, the pressures of an ever-changing culture mean that the church must constantly be vigilant to guard its life and keep its boundaries. But on the other hand, as the church has confronted change, it has become the battlefield over worship, politics, and and theology. Right? It's become that battlefield. So because of that, we, 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 we desire so much to want to, and, and we feel responsible. Friends, let's face it, we feel responsible. You hear it from the pulpit. You hear it from other leaders. You read about it, and so it comes to that. But what I want to highlight here today is how do we then um, undergird the sense of this love? You know, we've heard this love keeps no record of any wrong, right? It says that, but... The passage of scripture also says this, right? That um, not love keeps no record of any wrong. It's just slipped my mind. Um, Where you perfect, uh, it'll come, it'll come, it'll definitely come. Uh, Speak the truth in love, that's it. Thank you, Jesus. Speak the truth. We are admonished and we are encouraged to speak the truth in love. Amen. But so often, what do we do? We love just merely speaking the truth. And we don't really speak the truth in love. And in this context, we need to begin to examine that. We need to begin to examine that within our own lives. You know, the spirit that is both generous and orthodox, meaning to be challenged to think 
and to study and to believe what is right will require more than just graciousness and civility on the part of liberal and conservative leaders. Now, this is what this theologian Stanley Grant says. It will require, and hear this, a renewed center that lies beyond the polarizations of the past. Let me repeat that. The spirit that is both generous and orthodox will require more than just graciousness and civility on the part of liberal and conservative leaders. It will require a renewed center. Jesus is bringing us to a renewed center through COVID, through all of what's happening around the world through what our politicians and everyone else may be saying. Now, we need to come to this renewed center that lies beyond the polarizations of the past, what we believed in the past, what, what we vicariously as well believe, but do we know, really, really know the truth? Do you know what you really believe is really real? So Grenz believes the potentially generous orthodox future of the church can be rediscovered as its people focus on the life-transforming power of the gospel. As they recognize that doctrinal formulas are always inadequate and somewhat transitory because they are constructed by particular churches within either the linguistic, historical, and, and, and geographical particularities, right? So where we are based, how we speak, the language we speak in, the, the, the history, all of that begins to frame what we begin to believe as well. And more and more, the church is becoming more and more universal. If you look at denominations, you know, the strict setting within, within denominations are slowly ebbing away, ebbing away, because it's starting to fade into everything else, what scripture is also saying, and and as people begin to have varying experiences, right? So there is this, this future, and in all of this, in all of this, this church in Ephesus was trying to guard against some of these things that they were afraid of, at the cost of love. That's what this message is about. And that's what the indictment against them was really. So despite you and I doing all of these things, if we don't, if we forget our first love, the lampstand can be taken away. So what is this first love? And in verse four, it says, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. I will come and remove this. Excuse me. Amen. So it seemed that John was sort of being ambiguous here about the context that you have lost your first love. Now, the opinion of first love referring to God is the opinion here referring to God or to one another. I believe here as you read that is, is really evenly divided. Now, he was aware and, and, and it is certainly evidenced in his writing that love for Christ and love for people are so interrelated, right? It is. 
And, and you'll see this in all of his other writings in the gospel and even in the letters of John. Remember, the person that wrote, the same person that wrote Revelation wrote the gospel of John and also wrote first, second, and third letters of John as well, right? And this is, this is what he says. His admonition, his admonition firstly, or strong encouragement is this, that they repent and do the things that you did first. So what were the things that they did first? Repent now and go back to what it was. So go back to first love again. And so the nature of repentance that John is talking about here is found in the gospel of John chapter 13, verse 35, where it says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. He's saying, come on, come back to that. Come back in this climate where we can look at one another and, and probably now, have you sanitized your hands? Have you this? Have you done? Have you, make sure you're wearing a mask. Make sure you're this. Make, you know, the rightness now, again, this is not for us to ignore all of that. But when that becomes the most important thing, fear sets in, distrust begins to set in. And we've got to come back to this. We've got to ask ourselves again this question. We've got to be challenged again by, by John chapter 13, verse 35. It says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Can we love? You know, Jesus healed, touched the leper and he healed. In verse 34 to 35, it says this, let me give you a new command. Love one another in the same way I loved you. You love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see the love you have for each other. So what is it saying here? Their failure at this point means that the good news meant for sinners cannot be heard as good news for what it is. That's what he's saying to return back to your first love. Hey, guys, Ephesians, Casey City Church, they will not know this love and never experience this love because that is not being practiced. That is not being present, even in our own home. That's what he's saying. So the significance of this failure is seen in the statement that John makes, verse 5. Consider how far you have fallen. Says, have a look at it, guys. Reflect. Spend some time thinking, where are you now with this? Examine yourself. Don't be so worried about the isolation or, 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 or the restrictions. Forget all of that. Take it as a time to begin to reflect and see how far you have fallen. To not trust God is to not love Him enough. Because if I love Him, I will absolutely trust Him. Right? When you're intimate with someone, you cannot be intimate with the person and not trust the individual. So followed by this imagery, the same verse is this. If you do not repent, I will come and remove this lampstand from its place. So it seems that the punishment is not in keeping with the crime, is the opinion of so many. Right? Love for John was not just an attitude towards others. The whole Christian faith, according to John, is experiencing God's love for us through Christ and then returning the love to him by loving others. Should we therefore allow continual unforgiveness to persist in our lives? You know, friends, taken out of the, this book, The Bait of Satan, John Bevere says this, offended people still may experience miracles, words of utterance, strong preaching and healing in their lives. But these are gifts of the spirit, not fruits. 
we will be judged according to fruit, not gifting. A gift is given, fruit is cultivated. You heard me say this last week, that you are known by your works. You are known. We are saved by grace, but we are known by our works, friends. So the only obvious response today for you and I, as I bring this to a close, is to repent. That's the only response. Thanks. It is also easy for us as the people of God to sometimes grow cold in our love for the Lord. The heat or the love of Christ, it abates, somewhat declines. But what caused us at one time to have unquestioning faith or an unhesitating to obedience? Right? Why was there an unhesitating to obedience at one stage? But now, there is what I call maybe the presence of the teenager. Now, I'm not saying that teenagers are disobedient. That's just a, it's not a generalization as such, or it's not a criticism here, but I know I was a teenager once. And I know that at that point in time, it's, you just question and you, you, you don't want to. And, and we all go through that phase. We all go through that season, right? Or to only later grow cold or better still, hey, let's be more mature or sensible, guys. Let's not be so foolhardy in our faith. Let's not be reckless in trusting God. Well, let's not be over the top sometimes. Now, I love this passage. In Philippians chapter 3, 10, I'm going to read three different versions, right? Because I will pick this message up on this next week as I touch on rediscovering our intimacy in Christ. Today, I want to leave you with this. What does it mean to come back to your first love? And to, to say this, that that first love is not just love for God, but it's love for one another. The offense that we might have needs to be something that is viewed in the context of, 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 of really love with God. And that offense becomes the bait that Satan will use to bring division. For us to be so focused on keeping the boundaries, but it doesn't matter, I don't need to trust, I don't need to, I don't need to care. Now in Philippians chapter 3 verse 10 it says this how it is that how is it that we can come into this place of really receiving this love of consistently it is in verse 10 where it says I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead I want to suffer with him sharing in his death I want to know Christ this I want to know has that 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 in the original has this mindset this, this sense of intimacy that is shared between a husband and wife. 
the message says this, I gave up all that inferior stuff so I could know Christ personally, experience his resurrection power, be a partner in his suffering and go all the way with him to death itself. If there was any way to get into that resurrection from dead, I wanted to do it. This is what Paul is saying. The the Amplified says this, and this so that I may know him experientially becoming more thoroughly acquainted with him, understanding the remarkable wonders of his person more completely. And in that same way, experience the power of his resurrection, right, which overflows and is active in believers and that I may share the fellowship of his suffering by being continually conformed inwardly into his likeness, even to his death. Dying as he did. That's the verse. You know, there is something that is emerging in this day and age and in this world. And the core idea of this emergence is that when elements of a certain sort are assembled in the right way, something new comes into being. Something that was not there before. So something new is starting to arise within us. The new thing is not just a rearrangement of what was there before, but neither is it something dropped into the situation from the outside. It, em- it emerges, comes into being through the operation of the constituent elements. Yet the new, this is something different and often surprising. We would not have expected it before it appeared. You will think of the new elements not as something added from the outside, but as something that arises somehow out of the original constituents. And what is that? When you and I, if we go back to our first love and remember the time that we first received the Lord, that we first fell in love with Him, that we first said, come Lord, be my Savior. That seed inside of us, that spirit that is within us, that constituent, that element that is there is inside And it's now starting to rise to begin to form something new, something different that we are starting to experience. And so he comes to the church at Ephesus as he comes to us as Casey City Church. And for anyone else that's watching as he comes to you and he says, come back to your first love because those elements are there. Something new is arising. Don't be just so focused on boundary keeping. Amen. So the questions before us is this, how do we build authentic relationship with one another without compromising truth? Friends, what is the prevailing spirit in your family? What is the prevailing spirit in this church? I want you to close your eyes right now. You know, the church in Ephesus is called to remember the earlier days in which the love of Christ abounded in the congregation. So for John, who wrote the book of Revelation, remembering and restoring the centrality of love is not an, op- is not an option for us as believers. 
If love cannot triumph over the spirit of boundary keeping, Christ will come and remove the lampstand from its place. So this divine warning, friends, it seems to mean that without this whole, this, this primary aspect of love to be a primary thing, that we can be removed from the company of churches. In other words, when those who call themselves the church of Jesus Christ cease to have love for God and love for one another, any passion for making disciples as its first priority and become a group of gatekeepers, that community ceases to be church. Thank you, Jesus. Here's a prayer. It's a fairly long prayer, but I want to pray this prayer. It's not a prayer written by me, but John Bavier writes this in his book, The Bait of Satan, living free from the deadly trap of offense. And he prays this. I'm going to invite Rachel to come up as well, and they're going to be... As, as, as we reflect through this, we want to say, Jesus, what a savior. We want to come to that place. And just think of him right now and what he can do. And what he wants to do with you and through you. When I mean, those who have been placed in my life, Lord, to lead me and train me, betray me and turn against me as Saul turned against David. I will follow the example of David and refuse to let people and refuse to let hope die in my heart. Dear Holy Spirit, empower, to, empower me to be a spiritual father or mother to those who need who need me to disciple, love, support, and encourage them. Father, raise us as spiritual leaders in our land who can lead others with justice, mercy, integrity, and love. Allow me to be one of those, one of these leaders. Lord, when I'm cut off from my father, physical or spiritual, through his insecurity or jealousy or pride, cause me to recognize that as you did with David, you want to complete your work in my life. Holy Spirit, release me from tormenting thoughts of self-blame and striving for acceptance. Cause me to seek only your acceptance and restoration. I refuse to allow the enemy to cause me to seek revenge against those who have wronged me. I will not raise my ha hand against the Lord's anointed or seek to avenge myself. I will leave justice to you. Father, cause my heart to be as pure as David's was. Through your power, O oh Lord, I will refuse to attack my enemies with my tongue. For I will never forget that both death and life are in the power of the tongue. It's in Proverbs 18, 21. I will never seek to, to sow discord or separation between myself and my Christian brothers and sisters, for it is an abomination to my Lord. 
I will remain loyal to my spiritual leaders even when they have rejected me or wronged me. I choose to be a man or woman after the heart of God, not one who seeks to avenge myself. Holy Spirit, like David, I will lead my Christian brothers and sisters to honor our spiritual leaders even in the face of betrayal. I refuse to be the ones, sorry, I refuse to sow discord among brethren. I will show kindness to others who are in relationship with the ones who have wronged me. Like David, I will fill ways to honor them and will not allow offense to cause me to disrespect. Father, only you are worthy to judge the intents and actions of myself. All of those around me, I will praise you for your wisdom and I will submit to your leading. Lord, I choose to remain loyal to those in positions of authority over me. I choose to focus on the calling you have placed on my life and refuse to be diverted by the actions of others, even when they have treated me wrongly. Father, may you be able to examine my life and know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my heart toward others. You know, friends, this is it's a, long, it's a tall order of a prayer. But it's possible because of the elements within us. And the Lord says, return to that, that place. Return to that place of loving me, embracing my love, and then loving others. Remove every sense of offense that you have right now so that we become more than boundary keepers, so that we become more than truth seekers, so that we become more than just wanting to speak the truth in love. Oh, sorry, or, or just loving to speak the truth, but really wanting to speak the truth couched iced in the sense of love. God, only you can do that. Jesus, what a savior.